Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial, every Saturday at 12 noon. And we're here to promote and to extend public education. And what exactly is public education in these days when words mean so little? Public education for the DOGS is Education which is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is publicly accessible. That's accessible to all, all children, all teachers, all parents and all cleaners, administrators or anybody else who has anything to do with the public education system. No requirements, particularly no religious or other discriminatory requirements for entrance. But it should also be public in ownership and control. Public money should be used to put up new schools on don't we need them and aren't parents demanding them. So we should have new public schools paid for with our taxes and those taxes should be accountable through the ministerial system. It's a long time since we had any Ministers for Education resigning, isn't it, because of stuff-ups like the vet business, which Robert will be talking about later. So we should have public accountability for public funds. And you just can't have that if you push public funds into private education or any kind of private enterprise. And our governments, if they were genuinely representative and democratic governments, should be guaranteeing a first-class public education system for every child in this country. Well, we know this is no longer the case, and we've always known that it was something that we had to fight for. So the dogs keep fighting, and we keep reminding people. And we have a webpage at www.adogs.info. It's a pretty straightforward webpage. You can read what we have to say without lots and lots of pictures or advertisements. And our press release 630 uh, has this to say. Ross Gittins, the economics editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, agrees with the dogs on the Harper recommendations. Now, what does this mean? In the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Harper competition report. And I've been doing a bit of work on Harper so we can find out a bit more about how this gentleman ticks. But this is Ross Giddens. Let's not repeat our many competition stuff-ups. 
The belief that increased competition leads to greater efficiency and higher productivity is one of the articles of faith for admission to the economic priesthood. This is not a media release heading from the DOGS website. It is from an article of an economics guru of the age and the Sydney Morning Herald of November the 30th, 2015, namely Ross Gittins. And Gittins is a very interesting gentleman. I did a bit of work on him. And guess what? He is a product of the New South Wales public school system who got as far as Cambridge and is a first-class editor, economics editor and journalist who's written a large number of very well-thought-of books. He has his economic feet firmly placed in reality and he's prepared to question the twin doctrines of competition and choice at whatever cost. So he's prepared to remind us that we are dealing with an outdated ideology. Now, what is of most interest to the dogs is his comments on Harper's proposal for the complete deregulation of human services, which we have been talking about in recent weeks. And this is what he has to say. We'll see how many of Harper's braver proposals are actually implemented. In any case, most of them are up to the premiers, not the feds. But the most potentially alarming of his recommendations is Harper's proposal that the principles of competition policy be extended to the domain of human services, like health care, education and community services, which is mainly the responsibility of the states. There's no denying that health and education are areas of huge government spending and economic significance, replete with inefficiencies and ineffectiveness. They ought to be much higher on the reform agenda than yet more tinkering with the tax system and the wage-fixing rules. But to frame them as part of competition policy is an old economist's trick. Take an area that's always been outside the marketplace and marketise it. Take the world as it is and make it more like the textbook assumes it to be. The economic textbook, of course. Apply the economist's two magic answers, getting the incentives right and introducing competition and choice, and everything will fix itself without the economists ever needing to come to grips with the causes of the particular inefficiencies that are causing the problem. Brilliant, but often disastrous. Think of the string of stuff-ups that have followed the econocrats' efforts to contract out the provision of government services. Think of the allegations of widespread warting by operators of the job services network that replaced the Commonwealth Employment Service. Remember, listeners, the old Commonwealth Employment Services? A lot of you, I'm sure, got jobs out of that very, very good uh, service and then it was privatised. And Rudd's wife made herself a millionaire, and so did a lot of other people. And the people, the ordinary people who'd been working in the employment services, when they tried to pick up uh, a few things and make a living, found it very difficult at all because the Salvos and the Anglic Anglicare and others had picked up the rest. 
Now, think of the way of contracting out of childcare, Ross Giddens con- uh, continues. Uh, that, those services allowed the rise and the collapse of ABC Learning at great cost and inconvenience to parents and taxpayers, also to investors, I might add. Think of last week's collapse of Vocation Limited and the much wider rorting of the misguided experiment with profit-motivated provision of higher education. Federal and state reformers are totally stuffing up vocational education in response to problems with TAFE. And then Ross Gittins goes on. Think of all the money federal taxpayers have pumped into private schools in the sacred name of choice. And this, of course, is where dogs are with him all the way. Without any evidence of this wider competition leading to higher standards of education on either side of the fence. Think of all the effort put into the My School website to promote choice and competition while our scores continue to slide on the international indicators of literacy and numeracy. And he then goes on to uh, mention other disastrous uh, matters like the pink bat scheme and so on. So he ends up, sorry, econocrats, if you want to achieve genuine improvements in the delivery of health and education and community services, you'll have to try a mighty lot harder than applying magic answers. So Ross Gittins, um, because largely because I, I suspect he had a good public education, went to my old school, Fort Street, and uh, I think he ended up at the University of Queensland and then, then uh, Cambridge. Uh, he's uh, had a good education and that means that he has a firm sense of reality. Not so much Ian Harper. Ian Harper is a very interesting character. Uh, he's obviously part, I, I suspect he's either of the new establishment or the old establishment. I suspect the old establishment. He is a professor emeritus of the University of Melbourne. That um, that very strange institution that has produced so many strange iconocrats. I mean, they couldn't even privatise their own university successfully. When they tried, it was a major stuff-up and the person concerned, uh, Gilbert, I think he was, uh, wandered off to Manchester to make a mess of that too. So um, he's he comes from this august institution. He's an emeritus professor there. Uh, and he's one of Australia's best-known economists, I'm told. Um, he left his academic life in 2008, about the time, I suppose, uh, that uh, the econocrats led the world into the – what was it called? The, was it the global financial crisis? Yes, that was a good time to leave, <laughs> I would think. Um, so he left the academic life, but he became a director of the former Access Economics, which has been the think tank, I believe, for uh, the Abbott government, if not the Turnbull government. Uh, and um, he, he had uh, also various roles at the Melbourne Business School, which was part of that privatised version of uh, Melbourne University. Uh, then he was elected Professor Emeritus on his departure. But more recently, he's joined Deloitte Access Economics as a partner when Deloitte acquired Access Economics in March 2011. 
and from December 2005 to July 2009, he served as inaugural chairman of the Australian Fair Pay Commission. <laughs> that sounds very unusual. And in, I don't know that, that he would have been independent there. And an independent statutory body whose role was to set and adjust the minimum wages in Australia. Well, I'm not sure that people who are on a minimum wage would have um, been great admirers of Ian Harper. Uh, from January 2011 to February 2012, he served as one of the three panellists on the Independent Review of State Finances in Victoria. He's often sought after as a commentator and public speaker on economic and financial issues. Well, not at 3CR, he's not. Uh, and, of course, you know, we, we here keep our feet on the ground and we're quite happy to... Uh, tell you about the world as it is, not as the uh, uh, access economics people who believe in competition at any cost um, believe. So uh, in 2000, he was elected to a fellowship of the Academy of Social Sciences in Australia in recognition of his standing as an academic economist and more recently to a fellowship in the Australian Institute of Company Directors. So you've really, you've really got someone with a, um, a very, very uh, uh, proper history for um, the uh, market economy. However, Ian Harper had a few problems in the recent review because he wanted complete deregulation of everything, including the alcohol industry. But Ian Harper is also a gentleman who's very close to certain sections of the Christian church. And it was pointed out to him that if you deregulate alcohol, this might have an effect on families. So he pulled back a little bit from that. Perhaps he should think about what really happens if you deregulate things like human services and education and pull back from that a bit too. But I don't think that these economists are all that interested in what really happens in real empirical research on the ground. But um, he has uh, this to say, this is Ian Harper, Econom economics is a good servant but a bad master. And while the discipline of economics makes a valuable contribution to clear thinking about important questions that focus on humanity's material condition, it is not a philosophy for the whole of life and it was never intended to be. It needs to be kept in proper perspective, especially the prominence we give to material prosperity in our lives. Well, I wish Ian Harper had thought a little bit more like that when he looked at competition and choice in educational matters. So um, he's concerned that modern economics has detached itself from its moral foundations, and this gives rise to much concern for anyone of moral sentience, Christians included. In a sense, Christians may have an excuse for raising such issues and as a Christian economist, he considers it his duty to do so. Well, I think I, for one, I'm a Christian, but I'm not necessarily an economist. I could tell quite a few things to uh, Mr Harper about um, 
separation of religion and the state and also uh, about not making economics into um, a religion. Well, particularly Jane, market economics, but I think that's enough for me. Oh, no, no, I just want to comment on that because I think what Harper's done there is a complete cop-out. Absolute structural, moral, uh, you can hide behind religion and talk about sort of economic, not, not, not having a moral dimension and, and various aspects of human life not being able to deal with by economics. I think that's an absolute and complete cop-out. Because fundamentally, Jean, I believe that the provision, the provision of public service is not a market. It never was a market because if you want to have schools and police and hospitals, it is not a market because a marketplace is where people compete for things and you can succeed and fail and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's what a market is. If you do it well, you succeed. If you do it badly, then you fail and someone else can come and do it better. That is one of the fundamental principles of the market as it was conceived many centuries ago and as it's now conceived at the moment. Well, if you're talking about the provision specifically of education, education is a service that is so critical that we cannot as a country in all good conscience, if we are not stupid, we cannot let it go around failing generation after generation. Education is not a marketplace, and neither, neither are the provision of other public services. It's not something that can be let to fail and then everyone goes around. And Harper saying, oh, economics is a, you know, a dismal science and, and doesn't apply to the, to, to the oh, I don't know, in, in his mind, some kind of moral dimension. It's not a moral question. It's a, it's a systemic question. It's, it's a question of where the market is. If you want to open a corner shop, go for your life. If you want to run a school... That's completely different because the education of the children of this nation and the adults all the way through the tertiary sector is too important to put in some kind of marketplace because it isn't a marketplace. It never was a marketplace, look, certainly even, not in the 21st century. Look, even if he's a Christian, I could refer him to uh, Pauline, of all things, Pauline, um, the Pauline um, uh, documents, um, his um, his various letters, in which he's quite quite definite that all people, Gentiles, Christians, Jews, whatever you want to call them, all people are equal under God, and therefore all children are equal and should have equal education opportunities under God. If he wants to be moral about it, and education, as far as the dogs is concerned, and certainly since the 18th century, education is not a charity. It is a right. It is not a thing that is put into the marketplace. It is a right. It is a right of every child, every child of any citizen in this country to have a first-class public education, and that is why we all pay our taxes, so that that is the possibility. Yes. When we pay our taxes, it does not go into a giant pot that people can then compete for in some marketplace, because taxpayers' money, of course, are provided by us, the citizens of Australia, for the benefit of all Australians, not for the benefit of some, some, some strange private provider in a marketplace. Now, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's Robert. Yes, I'm back, and I'm a bit grumpy. Um, I'm a bit grumpy at Mr Harper for all his sort of strange moral foundations for discussing things that, that in, in just in a very systemic way, have nothing to do with the moral foundation. Um, I, I get annoyed when people start sort of squibbing on arguments by sort of waffling on about morals, when in fact it's just a very, it's very systematic dollars and cents argument. Dollars and cents argument that the privatising of education in Australia is just a stupid thing to it do. It has failed. It has failed dismally. And it has been proven to be stupid.
And in fact, here on the Dogs Program, I will prove it to you, dear listeners. And I'm very happy people ring up and argue with me because I think the evidence that's been produced, certainly in the way that education has been provided in the vocational education and training sector over the last four years, and specifically in the last two years, and then even more specifically in the last six months, has shown that if you try and get a marketplace model on how you fund education, it stuffs up. You waste money. You don't educate children and the whole thing falls down, as it now has in Australia. And you introduce corruption, quite widespread corruption oh, into our society. Uh, corruption is, is inevitable, is inevitable. In fact, as any economist will tell you, um, in a sort of pure market there is no corruption, but there is no such thing as a pure market. So corruption is inevitable if you create a marketplace for the provision of education with a pot of money being provided by us, the taxpayer. What makes me really, really, really cross, and I'm glad you're feeling grumpy, is the fact that there are 12,000 young people that have been preyed upon mercilessly by profiteers in the vet sector in Victoria alone. This is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. It was, it was fundamentally predictable. Everyone knew this was going to happen. And so it happened. And everyone's wandering around saying it's a surprise thing. No, it's not. Actually, I want to take our listeners back to last year. In fact, March of last year, when Ian McFarlane, who was the national um, minister for responsible for vocational education and training in the federal government, at that time pointed it out. But his solutions, of course, were, were interesting. And I, I'd like to take us back in time sort of over 18 months ago, when this whole thing started, just started to rear its ugly head. People involved in the system, people involved in the TAFE system, knew this was happening. In fact, we at the Dogs reported on it at that time and before. Everyone's known within the system that this corrupt and that it's wasting money. And in fact, it's not doing what it was intended to do, which was to educate people. But back in March 2014... Um, just, this is sort of just after Tony Abbott had won the election, actually, a couple of months after. He actually removed the responsibility for vocational edu- education and training from the federal education portfolio and handed it to the industry minister, Ian McFarlane. Now, back in, in um, uh, February of that year, McFarlane described the entire sector as a convoluted mess and a bureaucratic nightmare. Well, okay, if it's a convoluted mess and it's a bureaucratic nightmare, what was Ian McFarlane's solution to the problem of the whole uh, TAFE and VET education system? Now, he said that he had inherited a system which was so close to broken that we have had regular meetings now with the people who say, and I quote, for God's sake, just fix this. It's too complicated. It is so heavily regulated and so over-audited, we're not getting the results we we need. Now, uh, McFarlane <laughs> said, well, he was going to conduct a very methodical and careful restructuring of the thing. Now, this is 18 months ago. And this could include opening underused TAFE facilities to businesses and industries. So his solution was to privatise it even more. Now, at the time, he refused to elaborate on his plans, and but we can see what's happened as a result. And Mr McFarlane said that the any implementation programme and that was to be rolled out in a couple of months, which was July last year, 
um, would have to include even more privatisation, even more marketplace mechanisms for it to succeed. And he perceived the problem, this is 18 months ago, he perceived the problem with the whole system being such a mess is that it was over-regulated and it was over-audited. Now, at that time, there were more than 5,000 training providers, and that included 61 TAFE colleges. And they're registered at that time to run vocational education and training courses across Australia. Now, this number outnumbered universities by more than 100 to 1, and their total enrolments are more than double the universities, with 1 million Australian students in higher education this year. Well, that was last year, I should say. These people, the McFarlands of the world, the Harps of the world, uh, believe in a thing called magic, and they, unfortunately, are not magicians. They have left the real world of logic and history and just just plain common sense. See, what, what McFarlane said was, he says, by unravelling the multitude of layers that make up the VET system, he said, it was like peeling an onion. Mm-hmm. They seem to go on forever and it's not long before tears start, start to fall. Publicly funded private vocational education is best known through courses run, sometimes through TAFE institutes, but of course by the multitude of private providers. Now, there are thousands in Australia today of VET private providers. That include training organisations, business colleges, industry associations and, in fact, individual employers. To add to the complexity, the VET sector is administered by eight states and territory governments plus the Commonwealth, which under the former Labor government allocated more than $3 billion in Thai grants to state VET programs um, in the 2013-14 financial year. So this, this mess has been going on for some time and this was the way it was 18 months ago. And I've noticed on if you walk into um, shops and you listen to the commercial radio stations that are on, they must be spending millions on advertising uh, their wares. They're really push, 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 pushing their wares to the unwary. Now, one of the first things that McFarlane did was he was in the the process of closing down the Standing Council on Tertiary Education, Skills and Employment. Now, that crucial agency was established by the Labor previous government, by the Council of Australian Governments, and comprised the heads of the Commonwealth states and territories as a means of ensuring high-quality tertiary education. McFarlane got rid of that. Now, Ms Forward, who was the Federal Secretary of TAFE for the Australian Education Union, said at the time, the governments across Australia have gone further than any other nation in opening vocational education and training to the private sector so as to, and I quote, reduce their outlays while shifting the costs of education onto the students. But she says, this leads inexorably to the destruction of TAFE. And governments are encouraging the proliferation of for-profit providers by allocating increasing proportions of government funding to them. Now, Ms Forward, uh, the the, uh, Federal Secretary of TAFE for the Australian Education Union, refers to an ideologically driven reform process, according in all the states and territories. Now, after four years, this, this is now five and a half years, we've had it now, of market reform, She said 71% of Victorian recurrent government funding for TAFE has been opened to the private sector. 
Unable to compete with the low-cost private providers, the TAFE Institute's share of the training market has plummeted from 68% in 2008 down now, or back then, to 40%. It's even lower now. Now, this creates a significant problem. McFarlane at the time was saying we need less regulation to free everything up, and the signs were already there that corruption was already functionally in the system. Now, I want to take you, dear listeners, to to now, because that was 18 months ago. And right now, it's actually come to a crisis point. And it's come to a crisis point, not for any moral reasons, Mr Harper. It's come to a crisis point for systemic financial reasons. Because the corruption in the VET private provision system has become so rampant that the $3 billion that was allocated to educating children in vocational education and training programs is now set to go from $3 billion up to $6 billion if we keep it the way it is. Because so many private colleges have, who use fundamentally a profit motive in a marketplace are getting as much money as they possibly can as quickly as they possibly can. This is actually right back into the 19th century. The, realize, the re- reason why we made education public provision and centralised in the first place was, in fact, because it's more efficient and more economic and it does the job. Indeed. And we'll be continue, I, will, I will let you know what's going on right at the moment because it's, it's actually turning into a crisis. It's one of those crises where a minister should be resigning. Yes. A $3 billion blowout because of no other reason, no other reason than the system has been privatised needs to be addressed directly and it is in fact a question of ministerial responsibility. I'll be outlining some details about what's going on right now in the VET system after these messages and a bit of music.
Wales have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast over the WWWs. Yes, the defence of government schools. Uh, government schools, government TAFEs, government colleges, not the private sort. Um, we have, in over the decades, because we've been around for a while, often looked at the enemies. And there are enemies. There are people who do not want Australia to have a state school system. They, they do not want, for all sorts of different reasons, for Australia to have taxpayers fund the education of Australians directly through some form of accountable public service system or call it bureaucracy if you like. They want the whole thing to be done either uh, by private education providers or indeed by religious education providers who are in fact private education providers with a little tagline on the end. But as I was discussing before, that lovely relaxing music, uh, beautiful, I love an organ, just calms you down after you have to deal with researching through the attacks on public education. Um, I was talking about what was going on 18 months ago and how the warning signs were there and how the industry ministry saw that the problems that were besetting the vocational education and training system in Australia related to the fact that the government was getting in the way, too much red tape, too much oversight. So 18 months down the track we end up at today. And today the entire thing is a shocking mess, not because it's over-regulated, not because there's too much red tape, but because, in fact, it's been under-regulated. The whole system has been allowed to run in an unaccountable way for so long, it's now got to the point where taxpayers are being forced to fork out so many millions of dollars, it's a mess. And the solution to the problem by the Turnbull government, as of the 1st of December, was to put a freeze on all payments to private colleges as an emergency, an emergency measure in an early move to overhaul the scandal-plagued vocational education loan scheme. Now, the Prime Minister has said for the next year, loans to private colleges who are accessing taxpayers' money will be frozen at last or at this year's level. This means that if a trading provider billed the government for $40 million in a year, which is often the case... Um, that college will not be able to access any more money than what they were allocated this year. Robert, when they talk about loans, they're actually talking about loans which the children, and they are, the young people um, who have been sold a pup, are incurring for life. Mm -hmm. Uh, This money hasn't just gone. It's gone into loans to students, which has got to be paid back. The, um, the private colleges have run off with all the profits, our money, that's fine. Mm. But the government is now going to demand that these, this money be paid back by the students who have been sold a complete pup. There's 12,000 students in Victoria alone who have not got 
a certificate that's worth anything. And all they've done is incur loans to the government for life. Indeed. In fact, well, you're exactly right because, yeah, you're exactly right to point out the loans thing is actually relating to the students. The private colleges just get the money up front. That's it. The money goes from the government to the private providers and then the government has to chase down the loans for the poor students in the future. Now, the payments, of course, will also be suspended to providers if they believe to be dodgy and colleges will now be paid in arrears rather than in advance. Ah, now that's a big thing. That's it. The colleges only get paid if the kids get a certificate not up front, which is the way it is at the moment. Now, the Vocational Education Skills Minister at the moment is Luke Hartsucker, and he said the urgent measures were necessary to protect students and taxpayers from abuse. Well, yeah, the mess was made by you in the first place, and yes, of course you have to clean it up, and was this predictable? Of course it was. Are those loans going to be forgiven? Well, I mean, I'm sure he's not going to say yes to that at the moment. He says these measures will address significantly many of the issues which are of great concern to the community, to students and to taxpayers. Oh, well, of course he says things like that. Now, the TAFE director of Australia's chief executive, Martin Riordan, praised the extraordinary emergency measures. Well, of course he does, because the TAFEs aren't the ones that are producing the problems. The TAFEs aren't the ones that are are producing the blowouts. The TAFEs are the ones that are still doing what they were doing before, but they've been beaten up on by the government because they've had their money taken away, and that money's been given to the private providers who've stuffed it up. And some of these private providers are in fact religious organisations and I think that should oh, of be course remembered they are. too. Of course they are and you can't look at those because that would be an infringement of their religious liberties. But the straight up market driven private providers have been beset by scandals over the last months. Now these scandals were entirely predictable and it was the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission that attempted to give them a very, very light slap on the wrist, but there's been only 10 discovered because the ACCC doesn't have the resources to find out if there's any more. And are there any more? Well, at the risk of going out on a limb, I would say yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I think there's a few more private education providers out there that, that are definitely on a bandwagon of getting the money. Now, for instance, the Phoenix Institute, which was a private education provider, was deregistered. That was actually after the age revealed that the college had employed dozens of salesmen, many working door-to-door, giving away free laptops to vulnerable people, including drug addicts and those with intellectual disabilities, to sign them up to online diploma courses in things like business management and nursing. The Labor Education Spokesman, King Carr, said the vocational education system was in crisis and he said the government had acted too slowly to rein in the abuse. Mr Kim Carr, Mr Shadow Education, you're one of the people that set this thing up in the first place. I'm not sitting here getting stuck into terminal because he's a Liberal or Mr Carr because he's Labor. It's been a bipartisan issue and it's disgusting on both of the major parties' points. But none of them, I think, in terms of Liberal or Labor, have any... You couldn't put a cigarette paper between their positions on this thing. They're both. They're both equally to blame. And he says, turn off the tap, Mr Carr says, turn off the tap of billions of dollars which are flowing to these shonks and these shysters. Well, yeah, you're the one that set up the system that meant they could get it. (laughs) Now, Labor has proposed at the moment capping tuition fees, lowering the amount of students can borrow from... $100,000 for a course in a private college, down the way down to $50,000 and creating a new complaints ombudsman. Well, no. Mr Carr, the simple solution's really, 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 really simple. I'm sorry, Mr Turnbull and Mr Hartsucker and Mr Carr. 
the private provision in a marketplace of education to the people of Australia is a fundamentally flawed model. You are not going to stop corruption until you stop giving money. Just stop it. Stop giving money to private providers of education. Now, I just got an interesting little story here, which was actually published on the 2nd of December in The Age, and the article is entitled Vocation Collapse. A co-founder, Brett Whitford, launches School for Startups. Now, the largest shareholder of the collapsed education private provision firm called Vocation, Brett Whitford, has launched a startup school that will take 18% equity in any startup developed under its watch. Mr. Whitford, who was also the co-founder of Vocation, but had a falling out with the board in 2014, is publicising auditions for his new school for entrepreneurs. After 150 staff were sacked and 12,000 students were left in limbo when vocation moved into administration. And that's what Gene was referring to before, those 12,000 students. Oh, this guy got out just at the right time. And now he's got a new one where he's trying to make money out of the government for another thing he's starting up after the vocation thing. I mean, this is what people in marketplaces do. They take the money and run. That's the marketplace. Now, if you think that people taking taxpayers' money and running is a bad idea, you've got two solutions. There's two solutions. One, you can have genuine oversight to make sure they don't. Or two, and this is what I suggest, dear, dear education ministers, state and federal, don't give them the money to start with. If you want to give someone some money to educate the children of Australia, make sure they are directly responsible, not indirectly, directly responsible to a politician who will be sacked if used stuff up. And then I think you will find the political classes will be very, very interested in making sure that the children of Australia get a good provision because if you've been given money to educate people and you stuff it up, the minister's going to be in trouble too. But that's the opposite of what's happening here in Australia at the moment. There is no accountability. There might be some nominal efficiencies, but there is no effectiveness in what's going on whatsoever. And we've put the future of our children in this very exciting, new, innovative world that Mr Turnbull is promising us in the hands of profiteers who are profiteering with our taxpayers' money. It's and outrageous. if I hear someone say, oh, it's just a few shysters and shonky deals, no, no, no. The system allows for corruption. The system encourages corruption. So you will have, you guessed it, corruption. And we'll be back with something a little bit nicer about education. Dale's got some lovely stories to tell us after these messages. Buy a ticket in the 3CR Summer Radiothon Raffle. And not only will you be supporting independent radio, but you could be in the running to win a new bike kindly donated by Reed Cycles. Reed Cycles have stores in North Melbourne, Windsor and Collingwood. Check out their website, reedcycles.com.au. Call the station now on 94198377 to get your tickets. Reed Cycles is a 3CR supporter. The New International Bookshop, Melbourne's famous left-wing bookshop. We stock the widest range of left-wing literature and merchandise 
as well as heaps of cheap quality second-hand books. Visit Nibs at Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton, or online at www.newinternationalbookshop.org.au. The New International Bookshop is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program, the Defence of Government Schools on 3CR 855 AM. As promised, I've got uh, a nice article here. Uh, It's from the Save Our Schools website, and it's entitled Fighting for Equity in Education, and it's written by Ned Johnson, who has uh, a lot of experience in schools and teaching. Okay, Reflections on Teaching and the Craft of Teaching. School teaching is a craft. A school teacher is an adult in a room full of children, and the task is to look after the children, supervise their social behaviour, and give them skills and knowledge. When I use the word craft, I don't mean making things out of seashells. I mean an activity that involves skill to achieve a practical end. You learn how to teach by doing it. Parenting skills are probably the most valuable skills to have. There are many teaching methods and every teaching situation is different. So a teacher needs to have many techniques and must constantly be thinking about which ones to use. The craft of teaching has always been like that, although recent technological changes have given teachers some powerful new tools. It is a difficult craft because the work is never finished. The results are difficult to measure and everything about the activity, apart from some basic objectives, is subject to doubt. Respect is at the heart of the craft of teaching. Respect for yourself as a person committed to teaching, for the child as a person who benefits, for the subject as something worth knowing. Teachers shouldn't take inferior material into the classroom. They shouldn't mislead or deceive children by telling them things are true or worthwhile when they aren't. They should study the children, watch them, learn from them and do their best for them. In Victoria, long ago, teaching was left to teachers. It was presumed that there were people people skilled in the craft and they would pass their knowledge on to others. But theory has trumped practice in in recent decades. Now teaching has been overtaken by education, which deals with students and clients rather than children, and which often has little respect for the craft of teaching. But learning begins with teaching, not data collection. Educationists seek to raise standards by discovering the methods that produce the best results, measured by objective tests. So far, they haven't had much success, not in defining standards, nor in describing methods, nor in measuring results, despite enormous inputs of money and energy and enormous outputs of printed material. Perhaps there are discoveries to be made, but none have been made yet. Teachers learn best about what needs to be done in the classroom itself, in relationships with children, and that is where their attention should be. Most educationists are committed to innovation, believing that research will bring us new knowledge as it has in most of the sciences. But the teaching methods used by Socrates two and a half thousand years ago are still current. Shiny new practices often thrust aside superior but scuffed old ones. Schools should not be laboratories where untried ideas about education are imposed on children. Schools should be conservative and only embrace things that are likely to succeed. Of course, teachers should accept what has been proved elsewhere, but it is more valuable for them to develop traditional skills in instruction than to pursue every innovation. 
every school needs a gatekeeper to interrogate the innovations. A few years ago, the Victorian government invested in a program involving the recognition of super principals and super teachers in the belief that there are are a few gifted individuals who know what the rest of us don't. These people may have had some temporary success because of the extra funding and energy at their disposal, but such programs aimed at lifting low achievers usually peter out against the powerful forces of social division and individual difference in our community. There are no quick fixes and no recognised experts in this craft, only practitioners working steadily. It took me a long time to teach one good lesson and many years to do it regularly. Sometimes you work at a lesson and it comes off, sometimes it doesn't, but you can't teach well unless you work hard and you have to keep at it. You're only as good as your last class. Teaching is always a challenge but the rewards are considerable. Once in a while, the children learn something and show you they've learned, and show you they've learned that thing, and that they know they have gained by it. Today, the rewards are eluding many teachers because they're prevented from pursuing their craft. We're witnessing a decline in teacher morale, a decline in the quality of teaching and learning, and an increase in teacher workload, resulting in a high turnover of staff in many schools. This is the product of a cultural decline marked by increasingly authoritarian structures, micromanagement of teachers and pervasive pervasive lack of trust. I was a bad teacher when I started teaching. I was no good at telling people what to do. I would ask kids to do the work and get cross when they refused. I couldn't understand why women with no muscles and little girly voices could command obedience. Forty years ago, I would have appreciated assistance with my performance in the classroom. Acting lessons, how to move, how to speak, how to pace a lesson. It took me years to learn the importance of timing, to wear a watch and to keep an eye on the minute hand. Others would gain from a discussion about what children need to learn at particular ages. Then how this knowledge might be presented, what skills are needed, how they are acquired and how practised. This may seem obvious but teacher training often skips these basic questions. Too much of what happens in the classroom is about process. When children ask, why are we doing this? The teacher must have a good answer, an honest and convincing one that they have thought about. They need time to think. You might get sullen or uncritical obedience without it, but you won't get much learning. Teachers often ask that question of their employers and don't receive answers. The education industry isn't very interested in learning. Teaching isn't for people who don't want to teach. It isn't for people who want a high salary and a high status in the community. It's for people who want to be useful and do something that helps. If you're such a person, the next question is, what do you have to offer? Then, who do you think you can help? If you can answer these questions, then you can begin learning how to teach. Thank you very much, Dale. I really enjoyed that because... In my experience, there used to be a lot of the wisdom accumulated over 100 years in the old teachers' colleges. Um, My sisters, who were teachers, received it. Um, I received it too. But then they abandoned the teachers' colleges and all of that accumulated information. It was a craft. They regarded it as a craft. Uh, and they put teacher education into the hands of academic institutions, uh, more the universities and so on. 
and they took it also out from under the education department so that the uh, the nexus, as it were, between the actual schools and the craft was cut. And in the process, a large amount of that accumulated wisdom in the craft, not the accumulated wisdom in the actual knowledge that, that people were trying to um, communicate, but in the craft, a lot of those methods uh, were lost. And it was a great pity, a great pity. And uh, in the process too, there were all of these um, ideas like Montessori and Froebel and you mention it, you know, theorists who had worked things out by testing their ideas on orphans from the Napoleonic Wars and other children in um, in orphanages. That's where they tested their ideas. Um, these ideas were peddled in the institutions, but not the craft. The craft, a lot of it, a lot of the wisdom, I felt, was lost. I don't know what Robert thinks about this. But, um, oh, I've got a solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. And you probably won't agree with it, Jane. And many, mm-hmm. many, many listeners might disagree with this solution, I, I, but I think it's probably quite a controversial one, but it's worth thinking about. I think primary school teachers should, to, before they go into a primary school to teach, should have a five-year postgraduate degree. I think the importance of effective teaching and learning and the respect that primary to any primary teacher deserves in any culture, and especially ours, I actually disagree with the article. I think primary school teaching is a high-status activity and should should be be. viewed as a high-status activity. And a five-year postgraduate degree with ongoing professional development support and taught to work as a team within that Mm. school Mm. for for the benefit of those students will be the most effective way of improving the education in Australia today. And I would suggest that primary school teachers should be paid more, more than secondary school teachers. I also think secondary school teachers, and this is a very personal view and this is where I get controversial, should not be given a pay rise. I don't think secondary school teachers should be paid more than what they are, but I do think secondary school teachers should be given 20% of their current teaching load time to be required to work in the field of their specialisation. So if you are a secondary school teacher who teaches mathematics, 20% of your working time should be spent working as a mathematician, either in in doing survey work or or, or doing work in terms of mathematical processes that benefit your local community or the broader Australian community so that when a child asks you, why should I listen to you, the teacher can say, because I am a mathematician. An English teacher should spend 20% of their time writing or editing or working with language within their profession so that that secondary school teacher, when asked by the student, why should I listen to you, the teacher can respond in pure and perfect honesty. It's because it's what I do. The same should be true of music teachers. Sports teachers do this anyway, just by the way. And music teachers, they almost always work as performers or coaches or work in the local community. So many teachers do this in any case. But I think for secondary school teachers, they should be valued in the community for the profession that it is that they wish to teach. And I think primary school teachers should be paid more because that, I do agree with you, Jean, is the real craft of teaching and I'm glad to hear in the article that that, that Dale shared with us here on the radio that it was emphasized as a craft not a profession although it is that too 
but it's it's a skill. And you don't walk into a classroom for the first day with it. It's something that experience is valued. And currently in Australia, I think the average time in the profession of a teacher coming out of a, some, some form of um, college or university is around about four years. They get burnt out and they go away again, which is just the saddest thing, all this expertise being lost mm, to the yep. children of Australia. Yep. So I, that's my view on the matter. I'd like to say that I'm deeply grateful to the skillful teachers who taught uh, my children, but above all, at the, at the current moment, I am deeply grateful to a teacher called Michael at the um, Errol Street Public School who is teaching my grandson. He is an exceptionally skilled teacher. Oh, and they're out I, there. Do, oh, do, they do are not there. get. They're not they getting paid or recognised, but no, they're there they're already. There. They're yeah. there already. I think there's great hope for the future in people like yes. Michael, yes. who are committed to the work that they do because when, of who they are. When the schoolmaster is abroad, then the nation has hope. Indeed, you've been listening to the Dogs Program here on Three CR eight five five on the AM dial and indeed podcast and digitally going through the airwaves. You might be listening to us on a digital radio as well. We certainly hope you might be. Um, We're here to defend government schools and we're here to defend them because they're good places. (laughs) They They have values. And we have to keep defending them because they are attacked again and again and again. But as um, Trevor Cobold say, uh, the struggle is long, but hope lasts longer. And we'll be back again next week. So from Dale, uh, myself, Rob and Jean, um, if you want to catch up with us, you can, of course, at our website, www.adogs.info in the next week. But um, if you don't catch up with us online, um, we'll be here on the radio next week, Saturday, 12 o'clock. Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joey here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City Joe says I am standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I ain't dead Says Joe, but I ain't dead The copper bosses killed you, Joe They shot you, Joe, says I Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your
was I but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. Sir. Uh-huh.